I have seen the pace of your life, the stress, the anxiety, the constant movement, rushing from one place to the next, chasing after your desires or running from your fears. I see how you struggle, striving to meet your needs all on your own. I see the burdens placed upon you and the burdens you place upon yourself. In the midst of this chaos and hurry, I am calling out to you to slow down. still and know that I am God. It is I who set the earth in motion. It is I who sustains you, protects you, and provides for your needs. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Trust in me with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid, for I will never leave you. Let your soul find rest in me and let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. For neither death nor life, the present nor the future, neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate you from my love. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. to see everybody this morning and I trust you know that truth that the Lord has overcome and that uh, we have hope and our hope is in him and no matter what comes our way uh, the Bible tells us that he will never leave us and he will never forsake us you believe that if you don't you need to jump on that bus because he will never leave you and he will never forsake you and we live in a world that is um, looking for hope. And uh, isn't it nice that if you belong to Christ, you have the hope, and the hope is in you? It's good stuff. I could start preaching right now, but I won't because I'm supposed to follow the order. <laughs> um, today, we're having a field day uh, from 1 o'clock to 4 o'clock at the Old Clay Library. Uh, some of Family Matters is already over there kind of making sure we get that because right now you can't reserve it. But um, they're going to have hot dogs and chips and drinks and all that kind of good stuff. So I'll just encourage you to be a part of that if you're able to. It's a time where uh, the body can get together and enjoy uh, fellowship uh, together. Uh, I won't be joining you. It's not because I don't want to have fellowship with you, but I'm uh, working alongside Kevin and Kristen and 
Brian and Holly, it's hard to call him Brian, but Brian and Holly Nichols, <clears throat> we're going over to um, Bremen, Georgia today to uh, help out uh, Luke and Naomi Milam in their ministry, College of Career Arts. It's a wonderful opportunity for the College of Career. And the high school seniors are going with us as well. And just ask that you pray for us as we have opportunity. You know, they're, they're doing a ministry with people who live in motels. And <clears throat> be surprised, Luke said, the number who just live in motels. And, and so they're having just this um, really great opportunity to do ministry. And, and uh, we're going to go be a part of that today. So I would just ask that you pray for us as we go over there this afternoon, as you're hanging out together uh, at the park and eating and enjoying one another's fellowship, we'd really appreciate it if you did that, if you prayed for us. I want to make mention of an opportunity that all of us have, and that is to pick up one of these Gospel of Johns. Um, I mentioned something about it last week in the message, and I know you remember that, but I was um, thinking about that this week, that you know, even for the person who is kind of the most introverted, there's opportunity just being able to hand the Gospel of John to one of your friends or relatives. You know, it's hard to talk to your family about the Lord at times. And so, you know, um, send them a letter and put one of these in it. And they might throw it away. They might not. You never know. But um, we know that the Word of God doesn't return void. And so I just encourage you to, to think about that. You know, as we were watching that video, I was reminded of Jude... And uh, verses 17 through 25. For this reason that um, God has called all believers to stand. To stand on him because he's trustworthy. And, um, you know, we're living in some times where um, there are a lot of false teachings. A lot of false doctrine. And I know that kind of might seem boring to some people. It's like, well, what do we need to know that for? But, you know, as we're going to see today, false teaching can creep into your home. And you might not even be aware of it. You're not prepared. I don't know. I, I have no idea. I don't live with you. But I would just encourage you to think through where you are spiritually in terms of your spiritual health. Right? Because as a father, as as mother, you have the responsibility to protect your children from false teaching. From things that can destroy. And um, so I just want to encourage you with that. But I wanted to read this section of scripture. If you could stand. We're going to read Jude verses 17 through 25. Jude, verses 17 through 25. It says, But you, beloved, ought to remember the words that were spoken beforehand by the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They were saying to you, In the last time there will be mockers following after their own ungodly lusts. These are the ones who cause divisions, worldly-minded, devoid of the Spirit. They're in our world now. And, and I don't know how to say this quite, but they're in the church. They're in the church. I mean, that's just the bottom line. So we have to be careful. But you, beloved, building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God waiting anxiously for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to eternal life. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire. And on some have mercy with and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Because we need to remember what Paul said in the end of Corinthians, 
Be steadfast and move and always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Be steadfast. You know, if there's a time where that message should resonate, it should be now. So he says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless with great joy. To the only God of our Savior, through Jesus Christ our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forevermore. Amen. A lot to think through in that passage. We know there's a spiritual warfare going on all the time. And um, I'm not sure where any of you stand. I, I mean, I know a lot of you, I know you're saved, but in terms of like understanding the importance of standing your ground, standing on the gospel of Christ, standing on the word of God, not allowing what I would call um, destructive language to impact you because it's, it's all around us. It's being talked about and bannered about all the time. And as we're going to see today in the, in the message, um, that Paul gave to Timothy, as, as he's thinking specifically about the church at Ephesus, there is a lot to consider in the last days. And we are living in the last days, just as Timothy was. And there's a lot for us to consider. And I think the tendency might be that we would say, well, you know, we attend grace and we're strong. Well, okay, but as an individual person, as an individual believer, you know, how are you doing in terms of your foundation? Are you rooted and grounded in the faith? You know, unwilling to compromise at any point. I mean, that's something to think about. So, just want to encourage you with that this morning. Um, are we thankful for the Word? It gives us guidance and strength and hope, especially in these days. So, my heart's full today. I, I'm going to have a hard time just not saying sit down unless talk about Timothy. But we're going to pray and ask the Lord to work through our song service this morning as Ron and, almost said the choir, Ron and the miniature choir have come together uh, to lead us this morning. So let's pray together. <clears throat> Lord, there's no one like you. Isaiah said that you were holy, holy, holy. And, um, Lord, I think sometimes it could be that we need to remember that you're so far above us, and yet you desire a relationship with us, fellowship. And all that was made possible through Jesus Christ. We really don't have the words to say thank you enough for all that you've made possible Lord, we do, we do want to thank you. And we do want to admit to you, Lord, that without you, we are nothing. Lord, I just want to thank you, Lord, that um, with you, that it's amazing to think about, but that because of, of faith in what God's Son did for me on the cross, I'm, I've been declared righteous for you and that righteousness is all about the righteousness of Christ not mine so thank you that I'm clothed with the righteousness of Christ I pray that everyone in this building would know if they are or not they're not trusting in man or religion or philosophy 
but that their hope and their trust is in Jesus Christ the Lord. Help us today that our worship, Lord, through song and through the word would be pleasing to you. May we um, honor you through our songs that we sing and through the word that is spoken today. May Jesus Christ, who is Lord, be glorified. And all these things we pray in his name. Amen. Praise the Lord together right now. Much bigger than sin. Grace, grace, a marvelous grace of our Lord.
let's, uh, we stand amazed at who Christ really is because of what he has done. So let's, uh, let's just stand amazed together. marvelous he is wonderful that's the reason why we've come to worship him we want to just come and just lift up his name right now sing with us please
singing to you. And Lord, we pray now that you'd be with Pastor Thad as he brings the message to us. May you use him to speak to our hearts. We ask all this in your name. Amen. lovely there he is the one 
who took away my sin. There he is, the one who's coming back in glory. Jesus Christ, the hope of heaven, there he is. Then we talked about a place she called Mount Calvary. How this land they called a king was crucified. How a lonely soldier beneath the cross stood pointing. Surely this man was the Son of God. He cried, There he is, the one who's altogether lovely. Oh, there he is, the one who took away my sin. And there he is, the one who's coming back in. Jesus Christ, hope of heaven, there he is. There will come a day when every eye shall see him. When at last this world will know that Jesus Lives. When the trumpet sounds and all God's saints stand pointing into the heavens and proclaiming there is, there is the one who's altogether Fantastic, David. Wasn't that great? I'm thankful for those that can sing. Take your Bibles and go to 2 Timothy in the third chapter. 2 Timothy chapter 3. As you can see by the title, the subtitle there, it's, it reads, Not a Surprise. And... It shouldn't be a surprise to us when we approach this text how Paul describes the last days. 
we shouldn't be sitting in our seat today going, gee, I can't see that, man. <laughs> I mean, it's very clear from the scriptures that man in the last days is absolutely like Paul describes him to be. We don't have to look far to figure out that men are like this. And it's troublesome to us, but it shouldn't be a surprise to us. Because we know that the Lord is coming again. And we know that there are really terrible times coming. I'm not sure how you've taken this last year, but it's just a glimpse. That's a very small glimpse into the wrath of the Lord that's coming. <laughs> and as you look in the book of the Revelation, you're, as a believer, encouraged that we are not going to have to endure the wrath. If you have studied the rapture, you understand that Christ is coming for his church first, and then subsequent to that will be the tribulation period on earth. And you are glad, and I am glad, that the church is not going to be here. But left will be the people who have rejected Christ. And there will be a host of them. They have rejected Christ and walk into the tribulation period. And for seven years, there will be, specifically in the last three and a half, terrible, terrible times. But it shouldn't be a surprise to us. It shouldn't be something that we are surprised about as believers. The question becomes, what will we do with what we know? What does this description of these people do for us? Is it just another list of descriptive terms that we look at and go, okay, that's, that's what it is, or what are we going to do with it? And so, as I was thinking about, you know, what are we going to do with it, because you're not in my office and I'm not talking to you. I'm talking with the Lord. What are we going to do with this? I think to gain a really a great appreciation for what Paul is saying about these men in the last days, we have to understand um, why he wrote what he wrote about them. And that comes to us in verses 6 through 9. In verses 6 through 9, he tells us um, that this is what they're going to be like, and this is why they're going to be this way. And these are the things that we need to be careful about. In my outline, it's know that. And I just to let you know, I'm putting together for you a handout that I'll give you, um, but it's not here today. It will be here when I finish it. And when I finish 1 through 9, it'll be here. But it's just in my notes right now, and I want to give it to you, but I think it's good that you would take your own notes. I think it's good you have that, your own discipline to do that. So in 1 through 9, we have this description of these people but in 6 through 9, Paul makes us aware of the reality that we need to pay attention because of what these men are capable of. And I don't know how much time you spend going around thinking about people who influence the church or false teachers. I don't know how much that even enters your mind. It's probably not one of my favorite subjects. Um, I don't imagine that it's yours. But in the times that we live in, we must be aware of the fact that not all people are gospel teaching and preaching people. And there are churches that simply do not acknowledge the gospel of Jesus Christ. Churches. And so when Paul writes this to Timothy, I mean, there's a sense of urgency that he would know 
what these men were like. But he told him why he needed to know. And that's kind of where the Lord's led me. And so I'm just going to do what he's told me. And I'm going to talk about 6 through 9 today. And then we'll back up and we'll look at the complete list of characteristics. But I think you gain a better appreciation for the characteristics when you know why he described them the way he did. And why Timothy needed to pay attention. Because remember that Timothy is pastoring the church at Ephesus. And these things that are being discussed here are impacting and influencing people within the church. So if you ask, a, ask the question today, what's impacting and influencing the church today? Think about that. Make your little list. I'm going to show you some things about that in just a minute. Let's read these verses and then we'll look together. Verse 1, but realize this, that in the last days difficult times will come. For men will be lovers of self, lovers of money. Boastful, arrogant, revilers, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, unholy, unloving, irreconcilable, malicious gossips, without self-control, brutal, haters of good, treacherous, reckless, conceited, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, holding to a form of godliness, although they have denied its power. Avoid such men as these. For among them are those who enter into households and captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Just as Janes and Jambres opposed Moses, so these men also oppose the truth, men of depraved mind, rejected in regard to the faith. And here's an encouraging verse. They will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all, just as Janes and Jambres' folly was also. Let's ask the Lord to help us. Lord, we do ask for your help this morning. We ask that your spirit would lead us and guide us. Help us not to come into this morning with any presuppositions. Help us to be teachable. That begins with myself. And I pray, Lord, that the things that you've taught me um, over the last few weeks in this text would, would come out correctly today. And that most of all, Lord, you would be honored and we're thankful that your word doesn't return void. There's always something for us, Lord. I pray that you would help us this morning. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen. Right in the middle of this section, there is... A small phrase that he uses. Avoid such men as these. To me, it's the key to the whole section. Because it not only just links it to the previous section in which he describes these men, but then it takes you to the next section, which he tells them why you need to avoid these men. Now, what you don't know and what you don't see in that word, um, avoid, is that it's a command. It's not like an option. He's not telling Timothy, look, if, if you want to avoid him, he's telling him, avoid them. Those who have false messages, he's saying to Timothy, avoid them. We need to be leery of those who have a false message. I know that one of the tendencies we might have is to think, well, I'm strong enough to have this conversation. I'm strong enough to be in this person's home. I'm strong enough. The reality is that I think it demands a self-examination at times. Are we really strong enough? 
are we rooted and grounded in the faith? Are we rooted and grounded in Christ? So Paul tells Timothy, look, you avoid these men, and it's a command, but it's not just a command, he was to continually do it. That's the emphasis in the word. Not only avoid these men, but continue to avoid these men. Now, remember in the previous section, in verses 24 through 26 of chapter 2, as we have it, he says the Lord's bondservant or slave must not be quarrelsome, but be kind to all, able to teach, patient when wronged, with gentleness correcting those who are in opposition. Remember, we talked about that attitude of gentleness. If perhaps God may grant them repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth, they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil, having been held captive by him to do his will. So there are times when we're going to be in the presence of people that are not teaching truth. The question becomes, you know, what happens when we're put in that awkward situation? You know, sometimes we may need to walk away. Just walk away. And that's what I think he's telling him. Avoid such men as these because it's not going to be profitable. But there are times I've been stuck, I don't know about you, with someone who's bantering about a false message and they ask me a question and I'm like, Lord, I... I mean, I'm going to answer the question, but I'm going to use your word to do that. So it's, it's a message to Timothy that's hard because he's saying, look, avoid these people. Avoid these men. It's not the only time in the scriptures where there's an instruction of that nature. In the book of Romans, as Paul writes to the Roman Christians, look what he says. He says, I urge you, brethren... Keep your eye on those who cause dissensions and hindrances. Contrary to the teaching which you learned, and do what? Turn from them. (laughs) Turn from them. For such men are slaves to their own appetites, and by their smooth and flattering speech, they deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. Do you see that last part? They deceive the hearts of the unsuspecting. It's interesting that phrase there, keep your eye on, is keep your eye on and continue to keep your eye on. What you also don't see in your text is that in the original language it reads this way. I urge you, brethren, keep your eye on those who cause the dissensions and the hindrances. The article occurs. In other words, he has specific people in mind. Now, we we do too, right? When we tell people, be careful of those people. We have people in mind. We have a group of people in mind. A group of false teachers in mind. I would say, we could say, be careful of the health, wealth, and prosperity teachers. Is that accurate to say? Yes, we need to be careful of them. Um, So there are times when Paul specifically points out these people. And there are times that we need to specifically point out. Hello. <laughs> That's weird. Well, there are times when we have to be careful because there are people that are out to deceive, okay? And Paul warns Timothy, Paul warns the church at Rome. I read an article this past week on a movement that I think is extremely dangerous. And I just want to kind of whet your appetite just to think through these things um, because I think they're very important for us to consider as Harley comes forward. Harley, how you doing, brother? Good. 
You gonna fix me? I'm, I'm in trouble, bro. All right. Why you fix me? I'm still gonna talk. All right. So I read this article, and it's entitled Five Signs Your Church Might Be Heading Toward Progressive Christianity. Now, I don't know what you know about progressive Christianity, but I did quite a bit of reading this last week, and I came across an article in, uh, on a website called crosswalk.com. And that was the title of the article, Five Signs Your Church Might Be Headed Toward Progressive Christianity. And so I had to do some research in terms of, thank you, Art, in terms of defining progressive Christianity. And this is kind of a compilation of all the different uh, articles that I read. But this is how they put it. Uh, progressive Christianity is a recent movement in Protestantism that focuses strongly on social justice and environmentalism and often includes a non-traditional view of the scriptures, not a historical view. In other words, these people take the word and... Why are you waving at me? These people are waving at me. Wow, there's some distractions today, aren't there? So in other words, they, take a, they don't take a historical perspective on the scriptures... The scriptures, I would say, the language I would use, they're movable, they're changeable. If they fit the narrative, then it's fine. So in this article, there were five warnings that this specific person pointed to in regards to a progressive Christianity. The first was that the progressive ha- progressives excuse me, have a lowered view of scripture. And I'm give you an example for every one of these so you guys can have them. So one example would be this. I disagree with the Apostle Paul on that issue. Well, all right. <laughs> so, <laughs> I mean, right? That doesn't mean that there aren't scriptures that we look at and we go, man, that's hard. How many of you have read scriptures and thought, that's hard? Yeah. But it's the scripture. In fact, it's interesting to me that in this section, the Apostle Paul comes down... And as he talked to Timothy about what he was to continue to do, he talks about the word of God being what? Inspired. It's God breathed. They want to make it about a bunch of men. Just man. Man that wrote it. But we know that these men were carried along by who? The Holy Spirit, according to Peter. Feelings over facts. This is one particular example that they have. That Bible verse doesn't resonate with me. Okay? Again, I just say, okay. Right? But now, I want you to hear something. This is language that progressives talk all the time. It's the reality of it. Well, okay, my Bible verse might not resonate with you, but does that make it any less the Scriptures? But now there is a battle going on for the scriptures today. If you look up progressive Christianity, you'll spend all afternoon reading. And all day tomorrow and all day the next day. Feelings over facts. Well, my feelings, can I trust my feelings? Always? No. But I can trust this book. It's the word of God. Trust in my feelings, they'll be all over the place. This one's going to be difficult to see, but this is true. 
social justice over sin and redemption. Now, if we're waiting for justice, okay, like we want to see it, it's coming. Do you know that? It's coming. So sit tight, it's coming. It's called the person of Jesus Christ and the millennial kingdom. It's coming. But this will be an example of their speech. We don't really need to preach the gospel. We just need to show love by bringing justice to the oppressed. Hey, look. I'm all about justice. How about you? I'm all about what God's word says concerning justice. I'm all about loving people. The question becomes, how can I demonstrate that love the best toward people? The gospel. You really love someone? Share the gospel. People say, feed them and clothe them. Well, you can do that too. I don't care. But at the end of the day, share the gospel. So that's a pretty heavy one in our culture today. We could probably talk about that from now till oh, tomorrow. <laughs> this is another one of the issues that comes up with progressives. Essential doctrines open for reinterpretation. An example of this would be progressive Christians are often open to redefining and reinterpreting the Bible on hot-button issues like homosexuality and abortion. But as well on doctrine such as the bodily resurrection of Christ. If people would really like to focus on that homosexuality and abortion. Okay, well let's focus on it for a second. Do we know what God says about life? Answer? Yes. Right? Now, you're going to be challenged in that. You're going to be challenged in that as a Christian. I'm challenged in that. I've had several people, I will not mention names, but several people in the last 20 years who've talked to me about that particular issue, the issue of abortion. The issue of homosexuality is a really a hot-button topic today. You know, when I look at that, I just, say, I just have to say this. Whether you're talking about homosexuality or abortion or divorce, right? Pick a subject. Has God already spoken on it? Answer? Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean that man's going to like what he said. But we can't just <laughs> reinterpret and say, well, we live in the 21st century and Paul needed to catch up. I mean, he certainly didn't have us in mind. You know, the launching point for this, I think, was open theism, where this, this mind of just, you know, hey, God is who I think he is. What do you mean by God is who you think he is? God defined himself. We have it in the scriptures. What did he say to Moses? I am who I am. I'm the self-existent eternal God. That's who I am. Now, what does man do with that? He has to do something with it. The essential doctrines like the resurrection, that's very important. A bodily resurrection of Christ is essential to the gospel message. So I'm just quoting to you from this article. This is not what I've come up with, so. But I don't disagree. Historic terms for progressives are redefined. Example love. This is something they would say, it's not our job to talk to anyone about sin. 
It's our job to love them. I would say this. You love them, so you talk about sin. How about that? If I really love my brother or my sister, or if I really love my next-door neighbor, then in love I'm sharing the gospel. Yeah, but Thad, the, the term sin, that's going to be offensive. That's right. But you know what you do? You just say, hey, I'm a sinner. You don't say, you're a sinner. That's probably not going to go well. But if you say, hey, we're all sinners. That's what the Bible says. It's amazing how one little three-letter word can be so offensive. So, I think it's very important for us to consider the fact that, like, in Paul and Timothy's day, there were issues they dealt with, like Gnosticism. And in our day, there are things like progressive Christianity that we deal with. Listen to me. You have to hear this. It is influencing the church in major ways right now. I'm very concerned, especially about, and I'm not picking on, but especially about our younger population. I'm not picking on you, but I'm concerned for you. That the essential doctrines, like the doctrine of inerrancy, is somehow just going to be thrown to the side. And it already is being. And that's why people can walk around questioning things, like homosexuality and like abortion. They're like, well, I mean, that's just what man says. No, the Bible says that all Scripture is inspired by who? God. Peter wrote that these men were carried along by the Spirit of God. So I just think it's important to be aware of these things. And I thought, well, that's one that might bring forth some discussion. <laughs> I've already given you my cell phone number, haven't I? Too bad. So let's look and see what it says here in Timothy. What Paul tells Timothy about these men specifically that he needed to be concerned about ah, at the time. Come on, Thad. First of all, look at verse 6. It says, For among them, for among these men, and he's referring back to verse 5, are those who enter into households and captivate weak women weighed down with sins led on by various impulses. So basically he's saying these, these men captivate the weak. In this particular con uh, context, he talks about unstable women who are weighed down with sins. Um, John Walvoord in talking about these weak-willed women, he says their carnality and immaturity made them easy targets for the false teachers. Out of an openness to learn, which in that, in that uh, word there, um, that they were, verse 7, they're learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That word learning there in verse 7 is like they continually are all about learning. Apparently, though, he says they embraced a new heresy that had come along. Well, what we just referred to in terms of progressive Christianity is a new heresy that's come along. But is it really new? I mean, I have to go back to the garden and, you know, has God really said? comes to my mind. And man has been questioning what God has really said for a long time. It just shows up in different colors, if you want to put it that way. That's what he says. He said they needed, meaning these women, they needed discernment in order to distinguish truth from error. Now, that, that particular statement is true for us. We need discernment. We need discernment to know right from wrong, what is good from what is evil. How's that going to happen? 
you got to study the Word. If your only intake of the Word is on Sunday, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. You say, Dad, but I come. Well, I'm glad you come. But you're still in trouble. It's important for us to do what? Study the Scriptures. It's important for us to write down things that we need to understand better. It's important for us. I don't know the number of people that have come to me over the years and said, that I just can't, I have a hard time studying the Word. Well, I do too. Right? There is an enemy that doesn't want my, my nose in this book. But I have a responsibility to do what? Study the Scriptures. And listen, I'm going to have questions. I have lots of questions. I don't know the answer to. But if I am going to be protected, right, then I need to study the book. And I need, listen, and this is a great like a moment for the, a together moment. And it's a great reason that we come together. Because we come together on Monday nights for ladies' Bible study. Now, I don't participate in that, but the ladies do, right? They come together on Monday nights for Bible study. The men come together on Tuesday mornings for Bible study. That together is important. Why? Because you're studying the Word. You know, the central focus on a Sunday morning in a worship service should be the Word of God. Robert said they need discernment in order to distinguish truth from error. They did not recognize the truth. I wrote down, they didn't have ears to hear. Yeah. I know this is probably going to be weird for you. Think. Do you have ears to hear? Man, when I was a teenager, I probably didn't have my ears. I don't know how much I was really paying attention. You know, I'm not sure I really had ears to hear. And when I went to Bible college, I was listening every single day. I mean, there was some professor standing up and teaching, whether it was Mr. George or Dr. Hughley, whoever it was, Dr. Talley. Every day I was exposed to the Word of God. And I needed it. And I went kind of on this progressive, I have ears, to I have ears to hear. <laughs> that took a little bit. Because you know what? If we're going to have ears to hear, what's going to happen? The Spirit of God is going to hit us with something that we really need to change in our lives. And we're, either, we're, it's at, we're at a crossroads. We have to do something with it. So, Walburn commenting on these women said they weren't in a position, right? They needed to be, to be discerning. I wanted to get back to this word captivate because it's a real interesting word. Look what it says in verse 6. For among them are those who enter into households. And by the way, in that language there, they, they, they're, they're sneaky about that. You know, Jude, it's written about that they crept in unnoticed, right? You say, well, they, they're in the church, these people? Yeah, they are. They are. So we have to be really careful. But notice what he says. They captivate weak women, weighed down with sins, led on by various impulses, always learning, never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. So I was looking at this word captivate, and I'm like, this is a really interesting word. So as I was studying, I'm like, I've got an illustration. I just need a volunteer. And so this morning, I asked Silas if he'd volunteer. And he's going to volunteer. This is cool, isn't it, Silas? Come up here, buddy. What are you doing? Shaking your head. Stand right here, Si. I should have just kept Harley up here, huh? All right, this is what that word means in the original. 
It literally means to be taken captive by a spirit. So what it means is this. So I'm going to be the false guy. You're going to be the true guy. Okay? So it's okay. I'm not going to really stab you. I mean, I know you're worried. <laughs> I'm afraid of your daddy. <laughs> All right? So it means this. It means they have them, right? They have them right there. They've captivated them. They've taken control of them. You all right? Okay. Well, you can go sit back down now. Hey, will you take this and put this on the front row? Be really careful with it, please. Because <laughs> Mr. Jim's sitting right there. But that's what that word means. It literally means to be taken captive at spear point. Wayne Barber, in commenting on this word, wrote, The picture is of one taking complete control over another. Either by force or deception, these women became prisoners in a spiritual battle. There are households today that are being taken captive by this progressive Christianity. It's the truth. I would encourage you, as the leader of your home, men, to analyze the health of your home spiritually. I think it's a good thing to do, right? It's a hard thing to do, but it's important because... We can be taken captive by deceit. And we can be in the midst of it and maybe not even know it. So I would encourage all of us to consider the fact that we do not want to be taken captive by false doctrine, false teachings. You think about the number of people. Just think about it for a second. The number of people that have been taken captive by a health, wealth, and prosperity theology. <laughs> Millions of people. I'm not quite sure how they did this last year. But millions of people influenced by man to the point where their message would be if you're not, right, if you're not healthy, it's because you don't have enough faith. You're not getting well because you don't have enough faith. You don't believe. God wants you to be wealthy. Scripture and verse, right? And you'll note that these, listen, false teachers um, are very deceitful. Because what they'll do is they'll take a scripture passage or a verse and pull it right out of its context and make it say what affirms their message. But remember, it's out of context. I mean, just watch them. They're very good at it. And do you know what? When I watch, I watch one of them every once in a while just to kind of see if things have changed and they haven't. But these people are just like enamored. It's like, it's like they're worshiping a God. Paul in Colossians, in writing to the church there, he says, see to it that no one takes you captive. Through philosophy and empty deception according to the tradition of men, according to, uh, to the elementary principles of the world, rather than according to Christ. What does philosophy do? It emphasizes human wisdom. That's what it does. J. I love what J.I. Packer says about, about this. J.I. Packer said, Philosophers are people who talk about something they don't understand and make you think it's your fault. 
well, that sounds like a couple of networks I know. CNN, MSNBC. I'm like, is he writing about them? I mean, the reality is that man is held captive by man at times. Through language that sounds really smooth and really good. So, Paul says, these men, some of them, captivate households. The next thing we see about them comes from verses uh, 8 and 9. It says, just as Jannes and Jambres, and we'll talk about them in a minute, opposed Moses, so these men oppose the truth. They oppose the truth. Well, it's not the only time in this particular chapter, this particular book, excuse me, where Paul talks about those opposing a message. I love the context of this and content. We'll talk about it when we get there. But Paul says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Be on guard against him yourself, for he vigorously opposed our teaching. Do you know people who vigorously oppose the gospel? Do you know? We are not living in a Christian nation. Are you listening to me? We don't live in a Christian nation. It's a post-Christian nation. There are some believers in the United States. I don't know how many. But it's certainly different from when I was growing up. If you're just going to take an eye test, and, and I'm not saying this eye test is 100% full proof, so don't walk out going, you know, he said that was 100%. It's not. But when you consider the number of people that consider getting up on a Sunday and going to a house of worship and worshiping, is that the majority or the minority? It's the minority. And we're not even living in the Bible Belt anymore, I don't believe. We live in a pagan nation who's turned its back against God. All you have to do is listen. Listen to the language as they talk about Jesus Christ. Oh, he was a man. <laughs> and that's where they start and stop. He was a man. He was a good man. He lived on the earth for a while and then he died. Who's Jesus Christ? The God man. Did you catch that? The God man. Not 50 50, fully God, fully man. Who came to earth and lived a perfect life, who then was crucified on a Roman cross. Who was buried and three days later, what happened? He rose from the dead. Aren't you glad? We need to be tuned in to the fact that our culture is not a Christian culture. And that as we consider how we take what Paul's telling Timothy, how we use that... We need to consider that there are 
is a multitude of people around us who are not for the gospel, who are not for the truth. Paul said not only were these men opposed to the truth, but these men have a corrupt mind. Like those described in Romans chapter 1. I want you to go to Romans 1. I want you to be reminded about the condition of man. Now, if you were to read this text in a public park, I don't think you would get too many, applaud, too many people clapping for you. Because man views himself as being what? Pretty good. You say, well, how do they come to that point? They look at their neighbor. Say, well, I'm better than that person. Well, I'm certainly better than that person. But the scriptures define for us man. And in the first three chapters of the book of Romans, Paul writes this dissertation on the condition of man. And he comes to the end of that and he says in chapter 3 of Romans, for what? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. You know, man just compares himself with man. But when we as believers look at ourselves, we have to consider a holy, holy, holy God. I don't know about you, the older I get, man, I'm just so thankful that a holy, holy, holy God wants relationship and fellowship with me. Now, I'm amazed, right? That's why he's amazing grace. I mean, we're amazed. But we shouldn't be surprised that this description of man fits right along with what Paul is writing about here in Timothy. Look at verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes... His eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made, so that they are without excuse. For even though they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became what fools, and exchanged the glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of a corruptible man, and of birds, and of four-footed animals, and crawling creatures. And you know who man's worshiping today? Man. You say, which man? This is a mirror. Me. Man's worshiping himself. Now you look at this, verse 24 says, Therefore God gave them over in their lust of their heart to impurity, so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie... And worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And that is what's happening today. Man is worshipping man and not the one who made man. Verse 26. For this reason God gave them over to degrading passions for their women exchanged the natural function for that which is unnatural. In the same way, also, the men abandoned the natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another, men with men, committing indecent acts and receiving in their own persons the due penalty of their error. Verse 28, And just as they did not see fitting 
fit to acknowledge God any longer. God gave them over to a depraved mind to do those things which are not proper. Look at this, being filled with all unrighteousness. Now I want you to think about this and think about our culture. Unrighteousness, wickedness, greed, evil, full of envy, murder. Boy, that's been emphasized lately. There's murders all the time. Strife, deceit, malice. They're gossip, slanderers, haters of God. Insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents. By the way, that phrase that we'll get to in, when he describes disobedience to parent, disobedient to parents, that's not just little kids disobeying their parents. That's children discounting the wisdom of their parents. <laughs> By the way, if you're older and you're out of the house, don't discount the wisdom of your father or your mother. Proverbs tells us not to do that. There's a reason they have no hair or gray hair. Amen. <laughs> Which one, Dean? <laughs> or just both? Go, yeah, just go for two. <laughs> Without understanding, untrustworthy, unloving, unmerciful, and though they know the ordinances of God, ordinance of God, that those who practice such things are worthy of death, they not only do the same, but also give hearty approval. To those who practice them, welcome to the United States of America. And one of the questions that's been bannered about over the years has been, you know, is God taking his hands off the United States? I would say this, that the United States has distanced themselves from God. You don't have prayer in the schools. That was gone a long time ago, right? The textbook years and years ago for students was the Bible, and all that's just thrown out. And, and, and it's just a visual of, hey, God, we don't need you. We're doing fine all by ourselves. And I would say that was very, very true up until last year. <laughs> and then man was like, ooh, time out. Hold on, what's going on? It did wake up some people. It's like, what in the world's going on? Like I said earlier, COVID will be it. Small thing compared to what's going to go on in the book of Revelation. Hey, by the way, we have a great opportunity. People are listening. They're wanting to know. Great opportunity for the gospel. They have a corrupt mind. Look at this. Also, these men are not genuine. They're not authentic. This word is, is used to test metals. That's how they use the term. To see if the metals were authentic or genuine. And they don't pass the test. These men do not pass the test. One theologian wrote, The truth they claim to teach upon testing is found to be counterfeit. There's a lot to consider there. How many counterfeiters do you know? I 
I would imagine it has to be uncomfortable for people to be in a Bible teaching church. I would imagine that. Right? Because a pseudo-message about Christianity is what is being bannered about in a lot of places. But when you begin to look at true biblical Christianity and you're just talking with somebody face-to-face and, and you're saying, look, let me tell you about what God did. He loved you so much, he sent his only begotten son to die on the cross for you, for your sin. For my what? What'd you say? For my what? Man, I'm, I'm pretty good. Sin? You must be talking about yourself. To carry a message out to people that says, hey, listen, you need a savior. That's not popular. But it's the message they need. These men were captivating weak-willed women and proclaiming a false message. And you look at that and you're like, man, that's, for Timothy, he's like, whoa, where's the encouragement? It's coming. So they weren't genuine, and that's why he uses the phrase there, they were rejected in regard to the faith. But he ends with some encouragement for him in this section. And this has to do with Janies and Jambres. And you're like, who in the world is that? Every theologian asks that question. <laughs> they don't know. Tradition, Jewish tradition says that they were the people who opposed Moses when he stood before Pharaoh. And I want to show you some of that in just a minute. Look what it says, though, in verse 9. It says, these men will be found out. I mean, if it just stopped in verse 8, that's kind of, whew, that's a lot to... But verse 9, look what it says. But they, meaning these men, will not make further progress. I like what one theologian wrote. These men won't be around forever. <laughs> that's good to know. Because we know this, that in the end, there's judgment for all mankind. Can you imagine that the seven-year tribulation period is going on, and at the end of that tribulation period, there's the Battle of Armageddon, and you have people that come through that and live into the Millennial Kingdom, and they have children, and you're like, well, they've seen the, the power of God, and they're going to fall on their knees and worship Christ. Is that what they're all going to do? No. In fact, at the end of... The millennial kingdom, the Bible says they will rise up as the sands of the seashore against the Lord. And you know what's going to happen? Global warming. <laughs> I don't want to get into political discussion about it, but I'm like, you're waiting for global warming. It's coming. God's built it into his creation just like he did the flood. It's coming. you imagine, though? These men will be found out. They'll be found out. They won't be around forever. We know the end of the story. The Lord's coming. And he's going to sit on the throne of David. And listen to me. There will be justice. <laughs> hey, man. Those believers, right? You're looking, people are looking for justice today. I get all that. But it's like, the judge is going to sit on the throne, and the judge will do what? Judge. In righteousness. <laughs> well, he ends with, they'll be found out, 
They won't make further progress. Notice what he says, verse 9. For their folly would become obvious to all just as Jannies and Jambres' folly was also. And again, we're like, who's Jannies and Jambres? <laughs> well, tradition says that these are the ones who oppose Moses. I want to show you what happened. Go in your Bibles to Exodus. We're almost done. I thought I was going to get through the first few characteristics, but I'm not. Exodus chapter 7. Let me show you this. Exodus chapter 7. You all remember, right, what takes place here and how Moses was the chosen one to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. And Pharaoh was hardened against the Lord. So that first thing that we have here is water turned to blood. Notice chapter 7, verse 20. So Moses and Aaron did even as the Lord had commanded. And he lifted up the staff and struck the water that was in the Nile in the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants. And all the water that was in the Nile was turned to blood. The fish that were in the Nile died. The Nile became foul so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. And the blood was through all the land of Egypt. But the magicians of Egypt did the same with their secret arts. And Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. Then Pharaoh turned and went into his house, and with no concern even for, for this, saw the Egyptians dug around the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink of the water of the Nile. And seven days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So then what Moses and Aaron did, the magicians did. So most theologians believe and agree that Jannies and Jamborees are those guys. Um, but look at what it says. It goes on. It says, verse 1 of chapter 8, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go to Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will smite your whole territory with frogs. It's one thing to have one or two frogs. Whew. The Nile will swarm with frogs, which will come up and go into your house. One thing to be outside of the house, but inside the house is another. And into your bedroom, i got to tell you a quick story in a second. Into the houses of your servants and on your people and into your own ovens and in your kneading bowls. Wow. So there was a snake in our front yard the other day. I was sent a picture of it. Teresa said, I don't want a snake around my house. Seriously, we live in the country. As long as it's not in the house with us, right? These frogs were going to be everywhere. Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, stretch out your hand with your staff and the rivers over the excuse me, with your staff over the rivers, over the streams, and over the pools, and make frogs come up from the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. Verse 7. The magicians did the same with their secret arts, making frogs come up on the land of Egypt. Go down to verse 16. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth, that it may become gnats throughout all the land of Egypt. They did so, and Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth, and there were gnats on, on man and beast. All the dust of the earth became gnats through all the land of Egypt. And the magicians tried with their secret arts to bring forth gnats, but what does the Bible say? They could not. So there were gnats on man and beast. 
Look at this. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. <laughs> That's a pretty interesting statement. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he did not listen to them as the Lord had said. So for a time period, they were matching what was being done by Moses and Aaron. God was obviously in that, as we know. And for a time, you had these magicians who were controlled by someone else, not the God of heaven, matching. But it got to a point where they couldn't. So as you come back to this passage in 2 Timothy, it says, verse 9, But they will not make further progress, for their folly will be obvious to all. In other words, they're not forever around. There'll be, it'll be revealed one day who these people are. The question becomes, for us, and this is what I want you to take home with you. Are you protected? Answer, if you have the Spirit of God in you, you are. But are you engaged with this book on a regular basis? I want to give you three things to take home to think about as it relates to this, okay? First of all, if you're going, right, to have victory in your life as a believer, when there is a spiritual battle going on, you have to remain, I didn't put these on the screen, you have to remain committed on a daily basis to being in the Word of God. If we're going to have victory over the enemy, not only do we have to have the mind to be in the Word of God every day, but we have, the, have to have the mind to be wholly dependent on Him every day. And then thirdly, if we're going to experience victory as it relates to the enemy, not only do we have to be wholeheartedly committed to the Word of God, wholeheartedly committed to being dependent upon the Lord but thirdly, we have to be wholeheartedly committed to the church. Are you listening to me? To the church. The church defined as who? Body of Christ. Called out ones. You say, why is that important? There's strength in numbers. What does the author of Hebrews tell us? Not to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. And you're out there going, well, Thad, I'm here. I, mean, I know and I'm glad. But in a year where we weren't able to get together, are we seeing how important it is that we're together? That we're committed to being together, committed to challenging one another in the Word of God, challenging one another in our personal and daily lives as we walk with Him. You know, guys, I've as I was approaching this, I was like, you know, I just, I was just praying, Lord, please lead me on how I need to disseminate this because, you know, I understand that verse 2, 3, 4, and 5 come before verse 6. I get that. But I think the key to really appreciating what Paul writes in describing these men comes in verses 6 through 9. Right after he says, avoid them. This is why you need to avoid them. They're dangerous. I'll close with this. Are you a Bible student? 
Are you a Bible student? In 1982, I went to Bible college. I was going to be a Bible student. <laughs> oh, my goodness. My dad just said, you're going to Bible college for one year. You know why he said that? He said, that I want you to be rooted and grounded. I think it's important for us to be, as believers, full-time learners. Do you know there's opportunities for you to be full-time learners? I haven't plugged Grace School of Theology, and this is not about Grace School of Theology. There's are other colleges that teach the Bible. But, you know, they, they have opportunities for you guys to, to take classes, right? To be involved. To go up beyond a little bit more than Sunday morning or Sunday night. It's very affordable. I took some classes. Um, I actually finished my master's degree. It took me 20-something years to do it. But I finished But it's nice, that's not even the great term, but it's nice to be able to learn with other people around this country and around the world who are interested in the same thing as you are. So can I just encourage you to stretch yourself and be involved in study with your family, be involved in study on your own, obviously, but... Search out those ways that you can be challenged. Because I promise you, these men that Paul describes, they're out there. And they're looking to take captive the weak, those who are not grounded. So I just want to encourage you with that. We'll finish up, hopefully, Lord willing, next week, this section. and looking at the description of these guys. But I was thinking about you this week, and I, I mean, I love you. I love all of you. If I don't know you, I love you. And I love the fact that as a body of believers, we have the freedom to open this book and study it. And I would just challenge all of us in that love piece that we would love someone so much as to sit down with them and tell them the truth. Let's pray. Lord, um, there's a lot to consider here. There was for Timothy. Gnosticism was ruling the day in a lot of ways. and Men were bannering about teaching that spirit is good, the flesh is evil. They were really causing havoc in the church. and It was causing confusion and and uh, people were beginning to question, you know, what was going on. Lord, I think in our culture today, there's a lot of questioning going on as it relates to you, as it relates to the gospel, as it relates to what's the most important thing. And um, Lord, I just thank you to know that in your word we have given to us um, your will for our lives. I like to, to think on it like, you told um, your disciples, you didn't give them a long speech. You just said, 
go make disciples. And you told them that they would be your witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost parts. So, Lord, we have that same um, command from you. I pray that when we see people, we would see opportunity to represent you and to share the gospel. Lord, I'm thankful to know that we have the end in mind. We, we know what's coming. And I just pray you'd just put it on our hearts to be urgent about, about sharing of the gospel. Uh, we just pray, Lord, that you were honored this morning and just uh, ask that you would help us by your spirit to live to your glory. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. To close out this morning, uh, it's time. Uh, last several months, I have been really, I guess ever since Thad has been preaching in Second Timothy, seeing what's going on in the world today, you know, which is very, very disturbing, I think all of us would say. I have noticed that uh, I, I think we're definitely in the last days, but I actually found out that ever since Jesus came, we've been in the last days. Seems like we're closer than we've ever been. And so my thoughts have been as we face some of the days that are coming, um, can I stand firm? Can I be courageous? Can I be bold and stand firm? And, uh, and, and studying all that and reading about it and listening to sermons and things like that, I've only come to come, come to one conclusion is I'm, I can't do it. But with the, uh, with the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can. So we need to really, as Thad was talking about a few minutes ago, we need to depend on the Lord to get us through these evil days. And uh, so I want you to, as I sing this song here, and you can sing along with me as you pick it up. Uh, this is called Holy Spirit, and it's really a, a prayer. So I want you to just look at the words and, uh, and make, this, make this your prayer, not only for yourself, but make this a prayer for our church as well, because this song talks about that as well. It's called Holy Spirit. Spirit, living breath of God, breathe new life into my willing soul. Let the presence of the risen Lord come renew my heart and make me whole. Cause your word to come alive in me. Give me faith for what I cannot see. Give me passion for your purity. Holy Spirit, breathe new life in me. Spirit, come abide within. May your joy be seen in all I do. 
May each joy be seen in love. Excuse me, love enough to cover every sin in each thought and deed and attitude. Kindness to the greatest and the least. Gentleness that sows the path of peace. Turn my strivings into works of grace. Breath of God, show Christ in all I do. Spirit from creation's birth, giving life to all that God has made. Show your power once again on earth, cause your church to hunger for your ways. Let the fragrance of our prayers arise. Lead us on the road of sacrifice That in unity the face of Christ May be clear for all the world to see Let the fragrance of our prayers arise Lead us on the road of sacrifice that in unity the face of Christ may be clear for all the world to see. Y'all like my spear? Um, just wanted to remind you about the uh, field day. It's at the Old Clay Library, and uh, they'll have food for you guys there. And they're expecting you to be there, and I hope you all have a wonderful time. And y'all remember to pray for the college and career. And I need uh, Daniel Gilbertson to come get this thing. And we dismiss and bring it to my office. I know you'll do that for me. Okay? All right? Let's, let's pray together. We'll pray. Lord, thank you so much for our time together today. We don't take that for granted. We just thank you so much for the time together. Pray, Lord, that we would honor you this week in the things that we say and the things that we do. In the name of Christ, I pray. Amen. All right, Daniel, come get this from me.